0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chitam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and all it takes is three easy steps. Just go to mercurymile.com, create your profile, input your sizes and preferences, and they will send you out a box of curated goodies just to your liking. And I love this stuff. I say it all the time. They've been sponsoring the show for almost a year now, and it's because everyone who goes on there, likes their stuff, so they continue to sponsor the podcast. It really is that simple. I know I love it. I've gotten, I think, five different boxes over the course of this year. It's not a subscription service. You just get a box whenever you want one, and then you keep what you love. You send back what you don't. And the best part about that is is that the prices for the stuff you keep are very reasonable. They don't hike up the prices assuming that, like, hey, they already have it at home. They'll just pay an exorbitant price. No, no, no. I got one tech shirt. I think it was six months ago. I paid nine bucks for it. Nine bucks for a tech shirt. It was a really good one, too. So uh, give them a chance. MercuryMile.com. Use promo code RamblingRunner10 to get $10 off the stylist fee. Now, this episode is with my friend Karen Howe. Karen just had an absolutely phenomenal marathon. She set a huge PR, and she's someone who is... She's just constantly working hard. You know, she's run over 20 marathons now, but is really in the past you know, year or two have really stepped it up in terms of what she wants to get out of the marathon. So she'd been you know, at this point, she'd run 20 of them and just, you know, she really wasn't goal oriented in it, which is new for her because she's a very goal oriented professional. She has a, a dedicated full time job. She travels all the time for work. She has two kids. You know she's a very, very busy person, but she finally said, "Hey, I want to see what I can do in these marathons. She got a coach and has really been making it happen and she I'll tell you what, she didn't think she was fast because she didn't do track work. That was only for quote-unquote fast people. Well, I'll tell you what, she is hella fast, and it doesn't matter that she's in her 40s because she is seriously kicking butt, and she always laughs at me and says, hey, if I'm doing it in my 40s, you're 37, you got to step up your game. So we we have that kind of relationship. She's really funny, energetic, sarcastic, and just such a great person. So I hope you enjoy this episode with my friend, Karen Howe. Fresh off the New York City Marathon, Karen Howe, welcome to the Rambling
1: Runner podcast. Thanks, Matt, for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: It's my pleasure. We've been, uh, we've been friends for a while now. We've been you know, staying in contact via social media. I met you at the Boston Marathon 2018, which was always fun, and I was really excited to have you on the show. Even more so when I saw you beat Meb Kowleski. Kevle- you beat him in the New York City Marathon. Karen, congratulations.
1: I did. Thank you so much. I feel like maybe that should be my new like tagline or some stat I need to add somewhere.
0: I think you need to shoot bigger than that. Oh. I mean, it's, it not, it's nice to have the stat. I mean, that's certainly fine. But I think that's probably t-shirt worthy. if not like, you know, entrance of your home worthy.
1: Yeah, at least for now, it's Instagram story worthy.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- I mean but that has a shelf life of 24 hours. Do You really want that to die off so quick?
1: Uh, you know, maybe I'll save it for a post later. I'll put that little nugget in the background.
0: So you need to find him.
1: Well, I did do the shakeout run with him on Friday.
0: Oh, that's true. But that was post-race. It was pre-race. You that need to, like po- a post-race, you know, you guys can like talk about it and like you can go through the details of
1: how you nipped him at the line. That's true. That's true. I might've pushed him a little bit, but we're not going to cover that right now.
0: <laughs> well, you had a great race. You ran, Was it, it was 3, 10, 12? Three ten twenty two. Three ten twenty two. Okay, yep. but you were twelve seconds ahead of him. Is I was. was. You were twelve seconds ahead of him. Um, gender, place. You finished two hundred tenth out of twenty two thousand one hundred and twelve. Age group twenty fifth at the New York City Marathon out of three thousand three hundred seventy six people in your age group. How does that compare to what you were thinking about when you signed up for this marathon?
1: You know, when I signed up for this marathon, um, I didn't have a time expectation necessarily. It was the first time working a full session, like training cycle with a coach. Um, and so I worked with James McCurdy just to see where I could go. So up until a couple weeks before the marathon, I wasn't necessarily locking into a time Um, I know my personal best was a 313, and I knew that I was in shape to beat that. So to me, it really took the pressure off from the standpoint of I'm my own worst enemy as far as getting in my own head and kind of sabotaging things. So I thought, you know what? I know I'm in a better shape than a 313, so anything I do from there is going to be great. Um, On the flip side, I'm my own worst enemy, and the second that I cross the line, I'm like, I could have done better. I could have done better. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just need to not look at that either and know that I ran the best that I could on that day.
0: And what were the reasons you initially ticked off for why you thought you could have even done better than this You know, historic performance for you?
1: I really underestimated New York, the crowds. Like, for example, my first mile was a nine and a half minute pace strictly because I could not get in front of anybody and I wasn't going to start weaving I wanted to take the crowds in and run. I just didn't think it would be quite that slow of a start. And then throughout the race, um, obviously I underestimated some of the hills, but one of the factors too was you like, I wasn't trying to run with the pace group, but my pace happened to be pretty close. Those clumps of people completely block the road. It's like those annoying sidewalk walkers that walk three abreast and don't realize other people want to get by. So that was a little bit of challenging. I had to try to do some like, running a little faster, running a little slower. And I think that just kind of threw me off a little bit. But again, a 310, I'm, I'm definitely happy with it, for sure.
0: Yeah, of course. Now, for people who, like myself, haven't run New York, what does the starting line look like in terms yourself to people who are relatively the same ability as you oh
1: my goodness so they put you in these corrals and it's just massive herding of people i mean because you're literally surrounded by thousands and thousands so if someone hasn't ever done a big marathon before it can be completely overwhelming but i would say that there's some takeaways i think if someone was to reach out to me about the new york marathon I don't think I would pick that one if you wanted to really test your fitness. Number one, it's, it's hilly, which even I had kind of put that into the back of my mind thinking, yeah, Central Park's hilly, but the rest of it isn't. Oh, no, the rest of it is too. Um, and so it's just really crowded, but the energy is awesome. I mean, you're surrounded by runners. You're surrounded by spectators who are just the sound is deafening. So it's definitely a positive feeling. It just depends on what your goals are.
0: Now did you find it difficult to kind of govern your govern your pace or govern govern your effort considering the the electricity of the event and especially considering your, you know, by your standards quite slow first mile?
1: It was a little bit tricky, but at the same time I knew James would yell at me if I went too fast. <laughs> so it was a little bit easier that way.
0: Now did you have to I know you're 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 an accountant, oh, yeah. right? And yep. by trade yep. by training. Um, so obviously you're good with numbers. Did you have to do numbers on the fly after that nine 30 start?
1: No, I didn't do that much. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm in the first mile. Um, but I did manually. I, I changed my watch. I wear a Garmin and I switched it to the, um, you know, before the race started to a manual lap, which is the best thing you can ever do in one of these big races. So then that way I literally stuck to my mantra of run the mile you're in. So to me, I put that one in my back pocket and said, okay, we need to just go forward and run the mile you're in. And I'm so glad that I can't remember where I read that or someone told me that because it carried me through the marathon for sure. Because I started to die off a little bit, probably in the high twenties, which is normal, but I knew I had to get through Central Park still, which has those rollers and case in point, like, yeah, I dropped off a little bit, but those last two miles I was dropping six forties and I'm like, oh no, I'm getting this done. I'm gonna run this mile and I can die later, but I'm gonna run this and I'm gonna run it as hard as I can.
0: So after your first mile, what did the rest of say the first half look like? For I you? think
1: I finished the first half in like 134. So I was fairly consistent with running around the a little over a seven minute pace. So it felt really good that the crowds were amazing. I felt really happy. I wasn't fatigued, I wasn't, you know, any of the overwhelmed feelings. You know, you start to get tired around the Queensborough Bridge when, yeah, that indeed is a hill around mile 15 through 16. Um, and then you just, you know, like any marathon, you're starting to get tired. It's starting to get in your head a little bit, and you just keep plugging away.
0: Yeah, I think anyone who's ever run a marathon knows exactly how that feels. You know, that, that, those those can be tough. And the fact that you dropped 640s yeah. in, the la- in Central Park is is quite impressive. I, that thing I've never run the New York City Marathon, but I do travel to New York for work, and I've had a chance to run a Central Park, maybe a dozen different times, and those are no joke because it's not the hills aren't big, but there's no real flat yeah. ground. It's just constantly yeah. up and down.
1: Yeah, but because of the down, it, it, I just viewed it as okay. Well, what goes up must come down, and it just gives you insight that I'm I'm just that stubborn. I think that's probably why I've been doing it as long as I have. I'm I'm a pretty stubborn person. <laughs>
0: So you finished 25th in your age group in this enormous marathon, which is by any, you know, for for any person out there is an enormous accomplishment. So let's just dive in. Let's dive into your history. Okay. So when did you start picking up running, um, you know, not, not, not seriously, but start doing it, say, you know, multiple times a week for an extended period of time. Yeah,
1: I never did um, – I was never a runner. I always ran a couple miles for exercise here and there. But it was really a bucket list thing was to do a marathon. And so in 2006, I came home, you know, a new newlywed, if you will, and said, hey, honey, guess what? We're going to run a marathon. And he responded with, that's great, except the part where you said, weeks, I'm not interested. Well, when you're newlywed, <laughs> you can't really say no to me, so – he was gracious, he being my husband Eric, and um, trained we trained together, we ran the whole marathon together. He proceeded to walk straight back to the hotel without stopping, cursed along the way, and said, "Never again." whereas I somehow had amnesia over the last six miles of pure misery, and was like, "That was amazing. I can't wait to do it again." And so here I am. I just I've done a couple every year. Probably since minus having kids in the middle of there, you take a little breaks off here and there, but yeah, I guess um, I'm stubborn and crazy. Apparently, this is all very revealing, Matt. Thanks.
0: <laughs> it's funny, like so. I ran that first marathon, and now here I am.
1: Well, it, it's been
0: 12 yeah. years, yeah. so there has to be some something, some you know, some things happening in the yeah. interim. Uh, now, do you feel like you had a different race experience than your husband, but then just um, digested it differently?
1: I think both. Um, I think our experiences were very similar because up until about mile thirteen to sixteen, we were like high fiving each other. We're like, "This is amazing!" because it was Chicago, so big crowds, um, and we were on you know cloud nine. And then it starts to hurt, and we literally stopped talking to each other. And so we were in the same pain cave, but knew we needed to get through it. And I think really what made me react differently is when I finished. My younger sister was there to um, cheer me on. Little shout out to. Natalie, who's out there. uh, She has a fitness company. Um, She just was screaming. It's like, oh my God, you qualified for Boston. You qualified for Boston. Are you going to do this again? And even though I didn't understand fully, you know, that Boston was a big deal, I was like, absolutely. And so I had kind of that little glimmer of, okay, there's something bigger than just this bucket list. Whereas Eric was like, yeah, no, I'm all set.
0: Oh, so it was almost like your suffering served a purpose, but for him, his suffering was useless. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah he knew he wasn't getting to the line of, of Boston with the qualifying times for the males out there. So he was absolutely fine surrendering his role as uh, to uh, being my biggest supporter and biggest fan.
0: Now, has he relented or is or he stuck to his guns on the no marathoning ever again? He's stuck
1: to his guns with the exception of though he it's not like he just became a couch potato because since then he's done a handful of half iron men and things like that. He just thinks the idea of going out and running for hours is extremely boring.
0: (laughs) Well, well, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> there's been plenty of times and on plenty of runs where I felt the same way so I can't I can't begrudge him completely uh with that opinion obviously considering this is a running podcast I've gotten over the boredom but that that's that's a fair a fair um insight uh well, for him and, so,
1: and quite frankly he has no interest in the morning time slot so as anyone with kids knows that there's certain times that you can break away. And it just so happens that if I wasn't a morning person, running would be very challenging because I work, we have two kids, and when I get home, I have every excuse in the world to not run. And I even like running. So since he doesn't like mornings, and combine that with the running aspect of it, it it was just always easy that I get to take that time slot, and I, I have time to do that.
0: Yeah. So we're, we're, you know, we're kind of like brothers and sisters in arms on the whole morning time yeah. slot thing. We actually message each other occasionally before yes. our runs. So what does your, what does your morning look like?
1: Mornings. Um, if I'm in a training cycle, I'll typically get up at 4:45, 45 um, and I'm kind of a speed, get ready. You know, I don't do coffee. I don't do food. I don't do any of that stuff actually. And I get out the door as soon as possible because I have that time slot that I have to be back to the house by a certain time to make sure that everybody's fed everybody's out of bed everybody has their homework done and things like that so it's a pretty quick morning but i can usually squeeze an hour sometimes an hour and a half
0: okay so so you yeah you're so you're out usually like a second before like five yeah. o'clock so you can you can do like a pretty quick 10 to 15 minutes yeah
1: I, i'm not messing around i lay out my clothes the night before uh, and I have everything kind of down to a little bit of a science to make sure I'm I'm not wasting time. Now, how
0: do you treat the first? Yeah, no, I hear you. I, if I finally set up my clothes the night before, like that could be a deal Forget breaker it. for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so, how do you treat the first two miles of a, of a morning run where you're still? You know, technically speaking, you're still potentially like you know maybe a quarter asleep. Oh,
1: I absolutely am, and I used to not really run with any music, especially because it's so dark and things like that. But then I discovered oh, podcasts, and so usually your one of your podcasts is waking me up.
0: <laughs> there you go. But how how do your legs and your body feel the first two miles? How do you how do you go into it? Do you do you really ease into it? <laughs> Um. If so, what does that? What does that progression? Yeah, like?
1: absolutely. I absolutely ease into it, and actually, that's been a shift in my running. So I know that I went from okay, it was a bucket list to here I am, twenty three marathons later. But honestly, I my all of my run. I'm forty one. Full disclosure, there. No, no shame. I love being old because look at my stats. It's fun to be a master. Um. But my, <laughs>
0: you're like the you're you're like the Benjamin Button of runners. You're getting faster as you get older. So yeah.
1: So just I'm keep hoping- going. Anyway, so I think that a lot of what helps me do that is because my 30s was really no pressure running. Like, yeah, I did the marathons, but honestly, I never did any speed work. I was the classic. I didn't have a coach. I didn't do speed work. I just got up. I ran, and I did the miles, um, but I never altered it. So this past training cycle, training with James – you know, I was introduced to speed work and there's the quality days, there's the easy days, there's your rest days. So now I find when I start running in the morning, it's really, really easy for me to run slow and take it easy to warm up because now all of a sudden – there's days where it's really hard. My legs are like complete cement, but that's because I was doing some good work maybe the day or two before. So it kind of taught me that whole running slow to get fast.
0: Now you'd put in so much training, you know, in in your thirties running these, you know, you're 23 marathons in now you've run two this year. So I'll say take 2018 out. So you would say to 21 marathons and you mentioned you didn't do speed work before then. There's no way that you were, oblivious to the you know the idea of speed work so why did you choose not to well, do it
1: that sounded like it hurt <laughs> that sounded like that's what fast people do and i wasn't interested <laughs> it,
0: so then why so then why make the well, change so you, you you did basically two on average two a year for a decade. What precipitated the change to get a coach this I know.
1: Year? Well, I think honestly, because in 2017, I ran Boston. And for some reason, I wanted to hit a certain time. I can't even remember what the time was at this point. But I've been relatively healthy. Relatively quick um, and fortunate, um, but that 2017 was a little bit warm, and I just had a miserable experience. All I could focus on was looking at my watch and seeing that my my time per mile wasn't what I, you know, in my mind should be doing. And I remember finishing that marathon thinking, my God, I don't remember anybody cheering. I don't remember all the awesome things that Boston is good for. Like, that's not why I run marathons. And so I vowed that I was going to turn things around and try a different approach. And so I kind of changed and started actually looking at different people's um, training. And that's about the same time I think that I got introduced to Instagram. So there's this whole world of um, you know, the runners community out there that's so supportive and they were doing all these different things. And I'm like, you know, maybe there's something to that. And so I started to, to kind of look at that and still wasn't to me. I couldn't step on a track and know what to do, quite frankly, up until probably a little bit less than a year ago. I did not even realize I didn't know what a 400 was. So I had a lot of learning to do, Um, but I had a friend here in the Rochester area who um, does some coaching on the side who kind of took me under his wing and started to kind of introduce me to some of those speed concepts and fed me a couple workouts where I was like, huh, maybe there's something to this. And so it just so happened right before the Erie Marathon in 2017. So that was after the bad experience in the spring come to the fall. I decided to do the Erie marathon just to, you know, run it with some friends. It wasn't my goal race, but I, it just stuck with me that a couple people had told me they're like with the times that you're running, even though you don't do speed work, you really could be running a faster marathon. And so I remember starting that one with zero pressure. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to run this pace that feels good and see if I can hold it to the half. I held it to the half. And then I was like, Hmm, this still feels pretty good. Maybe I can hold it to the 20 miler. And then once I held it to the 20 miler, I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not letting this one go. So, you know, while I am an accountant by trade, I'm horrible at doing math in my head. So I just held the pace as long as I could and ended up finishing with an eight minute personal best. And that's when I was like, oh, this is what they mean by varying your speed. I'm like, I need a coach. I need help to figure out how can I get better if this is just after a little bit of speed work leading up to it so that's kind of how that that whole thing started
0: now do you think that vast improvement like if you had to put it into like two categories from a percent perspective how much of it was the introduction to speed work and how much of it was just not being handicapped by some sort of ideal that you thought you were capable of instead of just like you know kind of throwing caution to the wind and just seeing what played out I
1: think it was 95% throwing caution to the wind because this in my mind was in theory supposed to be like a 20 mile training run I was going to do the corning wine glass like a few weeks after this so I had zero expectations and going back to how I can easily self-sabotage myself since I had zero expectations I had nothing to lose no one was watching no one knew what my time goals were and I just ran to see hey you know What's the worst that could happen? I have to stop and walk a little bit. And so once I started to hit those, um, I'm like, that's when the stubborn kicks in. And I'm like, "Mm, yep, I'm going to try to hold that and see what I can do.
0: So how did you decide what that level should be? Like what, what body markers were you identifying as you were running? Like, okay, this is the sweet spot versus maybe a little bit faster or a little bit slower. Well,
1: I wasn't afraid. I was afraid of like completely blowing up. So I never did anything that really taxed my lungs. And I knew that with that many marathons underneath my belt, I knew what my legs were going to feel like. So as long as they weren't too far out of that, what I kind of knew, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep going to see.
0: That's a good point because over, over the past decade, you'd built up such a foundation of leg strength of so many marathons. So it's, it's not as if like your body was not prepared to run the distance. Yeah. I know I, I can I can relate what you're saying. Um, I My half marathon PR came untapered um, in the midst of a training cycle for a marathon. And I remember running it like I did not care what I, my pace was. I didn't even look down at my watch until the fifth mile. It wasn't even my watch. It was like this person next to me. I was like, "Hey, where where are we at?" And this was like pre-Garmin. Yeah. This is like eight. This is like eight years ago. Well, at least pre-Garmin yeah. for me. And um, and the same thing is that I basically, you know, half marathon is a little different than marathon. I was just focusing on my stride and then made sure that like I was never breathing heavy. So I was like kind of on that like level of like starting to breathe heavy, but not really, like that little fine line. And I just tried to stay there, and like ended up being like perfect. I am running like seven minute pace on the dot the whole way. Again, near the end, you, you struggled a little bit and then you have to, you know, dig deep to keep it going. But it was that same experience. Like I just focused on this one little part of my stride slash body makeup And then just like let the rest just kind of, you know, see what it was. And
1: someone told me a long time ago, I don't even know if it's factual or if it's just something they made up, but it seemed to make sense to me is that it takes your body probably a good two years in order to really, truly become good base marathon shape. And I'd say that that certainly helped because you have the physical aspect, but I think a large component that some people might not appreciate is the the mental aspect. Like I already knew what it was going to feel like once it starts to hurt. So it, at least that level of it going the distance never made me nervous. It's just okay, now that I'm in my 40s and trying to do the speed thing, it's kind of shifting gears to say, okay, now I need to learn what it's like to feel uncomfortable and how long am I willing to be uncomfortable before my mind shuts it off and says, okay, you know, that this is your limit. This is how far you can go. Because to me, I never looked at marathons as fast. That's why I, I liked marathons is because I didn't have to be fast. To me, running those 5Ks and 10Ks, which I have not done very many of them, that was for fast people. Marathoners were just endurance people. Well, unfortunately, I've met these damn fast people who are really ruining that image for me. So now I have to get fast. <laughs>
0: well... Spoiler alert, yes. you are yes. fast, Karen. Um, so, what made you like what comparison were you using when you decided that you weren't fast? Because this is so interesting to me because, like, you're really fast. So, it's, so like, what exactly were you measuring yourself against? That's a
1: really good question. It's because I wasn't on Instagram or any of that type of stuff. Um, I'm really slow to the gate on that whole social media stuff. And my God, actually, in 2006, I think we had flip phones still. So, we didn't even bring those with us.
0: Um, I think my wife got rid of her flip phone a year and a half uh, ago. She was like, she's, she's like so anti-technology. She basically held on to it until it didn't want to be held on I to I think
1: anymore. this is a common theme with runner couples because she can go commiserate with my husband then sometime because number one, he's anti-social media and he is the same. He would have kept his flip phone. The only reason why he finally had to get rid of it is because the, the free upgrades that they used to do back in the day, they no longer did that. <laughs> So, but as far as comparing, um, I don't know. I guess I just assumed that anybody in like the eight to nine minute pace just wasn't fast. And that if I was fast, I would be running these short races and running and winning things or something. I don't know. I guess it was just constantly just looking at my own self and saying, no, I'm not that fast. I'm just average, pretty average.
0: This is so funny to me. Okay. So when you were... (laughs) going through this training cycle and getting, um, you know, more used to the speed workouts and having them, uh, you know, a regular part, if not the bedrock of your, uh, of your training cycle. How did your body take to them over the course of the year?
1: Well, I really started with James probably in June. So it's really been since oh, okay. June that I've done these tough ones. And um,
0: and you ran a 318 at Boston I did this year, did. which is, I know I knew you were hoping for a sub 310, but that is really, really good, all things considered. So you were, guess, going into your cycle with James at a pretty high I, level.
1: I had a really good base. And that's the cycle leading up to Boston that my friend in Rochester, um, like Landry was helping me and starting to introduce those concepts of speed and just like, Hey, maybe you should try to push yourself a little harder and see what could happen. Um, and then the weather just stunk. But again, I was running with my sheer stubborn willpower, I suppose. And it, but anyways, a good base going into June and working with James. Um, and so then it became more consistent. So the speed work to me, since it's all new, I'm still in that element of it's relatively entertaining now granted towards the end of this cycle for new york i was like sweet mary mother of god can this be over yet i'm ready to taper like i remember throwing a pity party because my idea of a taper is basically i would stop running two to three weeks (laughs) pretty much except jogging before a marathon and in this james has a much more methodical approach to tapering which definitely i was much more successful i just didn't want to see speed work like a week away from the marathon I thought that that was crazy and I thought I can't be doing speed work so it was it's mentally challenging physically challenging but at the same time since it's such a novel new concept I found it entertaining to say okay here's this big workout in front of me instead of being intimidated by it I was like hmm I wonder if I can do this the worst that could happen is you don't hit the paces so what at least you've tried
0: Oh man. I like I understand what you said on an academic level. <laughs> I absolutely cannot put myself in that mindset though. Like if I bomb a workout, it like is like this black cloud over the rest of my day. Well, stop
1: being a negative Nancy. You got to really look at the glass like it's half full.
0: There you go. Well, that's, that you know, and you're of course you're right. Right. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. Um, but that you know, you're, it's 100 percent right. But obviously, for some people, me included, especially if it happens a couple times in a row, it can be hard to yeah. look to look at the the brighter side of life when you're trying to achieve something and it doesn't look like it's happening how you imagined it in the yeah. moment. So when you
1: well, let me no, let me were, pause on that okay. because I think that's a yeah, really please. good message for people. To hear, like, if I could personally be a cheerleader for all of the people who are self sabotaging or self doubting or things like that just because you didn't hit a workout, which which is normal. I'm not saying that every single workout I feel great, that's definitely far from the truth. And I don't hit all my paces. But at the same time, um, I just wish I could be there cheerleading for you because you can do it. You just have to have someone who's in your corner. And the only reason why I've made it as far as I have is because I have people in my corner who are constantly supporting me and reminding me that this is just one day in the grand scheme of your big goals. So make sure you're surrounding yourself by the people who are lifting you up and not taking you back down or, you know, letting you wallow in that, if you will, if that makes any sense. Um, I think that that's an important thing to note, that you're not alone and that you can get past it, and one workout's not going to make or break you. Keep trying.
0: Right, yeah, because even those benchmark workouts, again, they're not make or break. You know, they're benchmarked for a different reason, and some people don't even, don't even believe in benchmark yeah. workouts. You know, like it's, it's just it's just another workout that you should be able to complete if you're healthy and, you know, your legs are fairly fresh on some level. Um, and not even that. Right. So they're all, they're all tailor-made to you. So if you're like, all right, my coach gave me this because they think I can do it, then Hey, then I should be able to do it. And if you can't well, hey, you know, sometimes that happens. Not that big it of does, a deal. But it's also, um,
1: I found that, um, it was nerve wracking. Cause I'm like, what if I'm getting closer to the race and I can't hit these paces? So I totally understand that level of, um, anxiety thinking, okay, if I'm not hitting these paces, then, then maybe it's not working. Um, but inevitably just trying to look past that and then reaching back out to those same people who are supporting you to say, okay, calm down. It's okay. You've got this kind of helps.
0: And you said that you were hoping for a 310 or a sub 310 at Boston this year. Did you have that as either a goal in the back of your mind or an overt goal? Uh, at the beginning of this training cycle? Well, for
1: Boston, once I I was hoping to get, since my personal best was 313, I was hoping like a 310 sometime in 2018. I actually wrote that down somewhere, I think in one of my Believe journals or something. But then once the weather turned, I knew that I needed to throw that out the window and just run with heart the best I could and try not to die of hypothermia. Um, So then when I was doing this training cycle, James and I worked on... Getting faster and doing faster, shorter stuff like the half marathon, the wine glass one, and a couple other smaller things, but we never put a time on it. So, in my mind, it was always okay, I'm going to be happy with anything faster than my 313. I know I'm physically ready for something that was around 310, maybe even faster. And I think our A goal going into New York was like a 308, knowing that I'm physically ready for that, but it would take all the stars and moon and And everything to align in order to achieve that. So um, landing at the 310, I think I that was right where I needed to be for that given day.
0: All right. So you ran the 134 first half, including the slow first mile. You just said that the A goal was 308. So you hit that. You hit the halfway point. What were you thinking at that point? At that at that point? I got this.
1: I'm like, at that point, I knew I wanted to, I knew that I was going to be there. I knew that it was going to be a struggle. Though once I hit the 20s, given that there is some hills still left in the game and your legs inevitably get more tired. So, you know, I was like hopeful. But at the same time, I'm like, I might dip a little bit over that 308. That's okay. I'm just going to go and see what this body will do for me.
0: And are you calibrated in that, you know, slightly above slightly higher than seven minute pace where you didn't need to actually you were on manual yeah. lap. So you had to look I at did. Your watch. I
1: did. I had to look at it. So I knew after I hit the half and was hitting some like seven Oh fives. And then I started to drop more into like the seven fifteens for a couple of them. I'm like, yeah, I think we're going to throw three Oh eight out the door a little bit. Like I wasn't giving up all hope, but at the same time was realistic because I didn't want it to sabotage the rest of my race like I still wanted to do the concept of mantra of run the mile that you're in I just didn't want it to drop too much and honestly I saw at about mile 23 when things were starting to get rough um, I saw the Wazell uh, cowbell corner and Kristen and Steve Grazon were there and I spotted them and they made eye contact I'm like oh yeah I've got this I got re-energized and I, I was like here we go Central Park let's do it
0: so that's it. It's amazing how like your body can feel one way and then an external or even internal revelation comes in. And then it's th- 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 your whole physiology. Can huge.
1: Change. It's huge because it's still in my mind um, was hard. It, like my legs didn't feel like they were running any faster. Um, so until I hit like that manual lap and saw, OK, maybe I did pick it up. Like it didn't it didn't feel like I was picking it up because it still just hurt. <laughs> i'm like please let this be done
0: now were you do you have any problem areas um either in your legs or or your torso that you had to work through no
1: i didn't and it's actually going into it i was nervous because i had probably a couple months ago and leading up to it i was starting to think i had um either really bad shin splints or possible stress fracture in my shin Um, so I went through some physical therapy and really focused on some deep tissue. So, and they've been a little bit cranky since like not bad enough that I've had to take time off. I've just really, um, done the physical therapy, done the exercises, icing, deep tissue, and they seem to get a bit better, but I was nervous that all of a sudden they were going to start to hurt or something was really going to go wrong, but none of that, it was just normal leg fatigue. So I really, I lucked out
0: oh what a what a like that must have been such a monkey off your back because that's not exactly where you'd expect leg fatigue to like no
1: that the only thing that was really strange for the new york marathon is and i had sent a note to my coach in the morning because i woke up not feeling super well i had a headache and my um heart rate was about 110 and my normal heart rate is you know in the 50s as far as just like a normal resting heart rate so i thought oh gosh maybe i'm getting sick i didn't know if it was just like nerves from the race getting sick or what it was but so i was a little bit like "Hmm, what's going on here but i don't think that that ended up impacting me during the race it just was one of those really strange things
0: yeah i can see how you would be worried about <laughs> yeah. something like Am that
1: gonna have a heart attack now? <laughs> my heart rate has <laughs> yeah. doubled
0: this is not can great be
1: concerned with this <laughs> well nothing i can do yeah, so it's, it's like- i'm, I'm
0: yeah, exactly. So normally people don't factor into their pre-race routine like a psychology session with their <laughs> yeah. coach, at, with like a three thirty a.m. Right. start. Seriously,
1: the logistics of New York, Ugh. no fun.
0: Now, one thing that you mentioned, you had you had a post for the Lily Trotters website, yeah. um, which I thought was really well done, and you had you touched on a couple topics there, and uh, I should say about a handful of topics, and two of them I wanted to touch base with you on, um, cause I just thought your answers were very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about how running has affected the way you cope with failure or think about failure?
1: Yeah. I just think that running has always been my outlet for things. You know, I've, I'm a very goal oriented person, but it's always been there for me as far as, okay, only I can measure what failure is because only I can set the goals, um, for myself. Like anybody else's goals are not my own. So me achieving them or not doesn't make me a failure. It just makes me actually, my personality makes me want to try harder for those things or adjust the goals along the way. And I think some of that is because, well, when it comes to running, I've done enough. I have the experience. um, But I feel like also because of running, I've gotten to where I am, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, and it seems like this past year, at least, and even in, even in the preceding decade, it seems like you've been maybe less goal oriented in your running than you have, and maybe in your professional yes, life.
1: exactly. Well, and I had to be a mom. My kids are seven and nine, so those the running through my thirties it was really that time for me. I I was never one who, um, you know, I ran with a stroller. I think with my daughter when I was on maternity leave. But then after that, I really took to running maybe a little bit more to have my me time. And it was really important to kind of claim that time back for myself. And I did that through running. So I wasn't also tacking on more goals because at that time when you're raising little kids, sometimes it's just about survival and saying, okay, you know, kids don't come with manuals and it's a lot of work. It's really hard. And you're just trying to be the best version of yourself for them that you can be. And running kind of recentered me. So I could go out. My husband was great about being able to um, take them so that I could have that that time to then come home, walk back in the door and be recharged and ready to go. So I think it was important that I didn't have that um, pressure on myself because I did it enough through my career. I was still working long hours trying to raise, you know, young kids, Um And so all of that together, it would have been too much if I also tried to add on speed work and, you know, crazy goals and things like that, that now my kids are older, it does get easier. It, you know, them being able to be a little bit more self-sufficient is certainly helpful.
0: Good point. And obviously you, you still need to spend, you know, I had a lot of people talk to me about, you know, so I'm, I'm raising a three and a six-year-old, um, and people like to say, like, "Hey, well, it gets easier when it gets older," but in some ways, and not in other <laughs> yeah, ways. <called> <laughs> so, so, ha- so, how have you? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, how do you go about balancing the balance part of your life versus the high achievement part of your personal? Well, first
1: of all, for all you people who throw that word balance around, there's no such thing. When you're trying to do it all, it's just like, okay, which ball isn't going to drop? That's what I call balancing. Um, and having a good sense of humor about it Uh, because there's just a lot whether your kids are three and not potty trained yet which in itself can be a challenge or if they're nine and they're in 10 different extracurricular activities it's all hard um but just you know I'm a type a so maybe for me it it helps to be super organized and that's how I get through it but that's not what's going to work for everybody else um I can tell you that all I can say is that um Again, it's similar to surrounding yourself by the, the people who are going to lift you up and help you, whatever it takes, whatever it takes.
0: Now, now, what does super organized mean for you? It means
1: a color-coded calendar, and it lists all of their events and where we're supposed to be at what time. Um, sticking to a schedule, uh, me being able to run in the morning rarely changes. So I take those different time slots and knowing... Is that
0: on the calendar? Is the running on the calendar? Like, is everything on there? No, just the
1: kids' activities. Because I think that if I didn't have all the kids' activities color-coded, I absolutely would leave my kids somewhere, for sure. There's no doubt about it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God. I I know that that's a possibility, and I really don't want that to happen. So running, I'm not going to forget. Because the alarm clock goes off, and my body is pretty much like, oh, guess what? Get out of bed. Let's go. Uh, Leaving your kids somewhere, it's kind of frowned on. So I usually just have their stuff
0: Parenting yeah. tip. Don't leave that's your kid somewhere.
1: Tip.
0: Just saying. Yeah. There you go. There you go. See? And there you go. That, and that, and that's a trial yeah. and error.
1: Yeah. Th- Good luck.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Um, another point that you've talked about in that post was um, was we just talked about coping with failure. The other one was running has taught me patience. Mm. Now, what? so what did your pre-running patience or lack thereof look like compared to what it is now
1: I think that the the pre-running there was no such thing as patience and I think it's a combination of the running as an outlet helped me with that patience but at the same time which it's all related um, kids have taught me patience too so the running is one of those that you know as patient with myself to see if I could go the different distances and it's kind of like the different evolutions of what I've done with running over the last you know 10-15 years or so Um, and just seeing, hey first of all can you do the distance Uh, can you work through some of the pain and suffering but then it's also it just clears the mind like once you're able to get out there and just run for miles um, that's just kind of helps me reset and get perspective on just life in general because if you have a busy work life you have a busy family life that can't bug me when I'm running. It kind of like resets, if you will, for me. So that's helped me just kind of get perspective and not get too worked up about things.
0: And how do you have patience in your running as a very goal oriented type a person who has it seems like you've you know really mastered this because you've been able to like, you know, build and build and build over a long period of time you know, even with, you know, the birth of your two kids, you've been able to maintain running at a very high level for over a decade. So has, has that part of it for you been something that was just kind of inborn or have you tried to, or you had to kind of cultivate that over
1: time? I think it's cultivated over time. Um, Just learning to be patient with myself. And part of it was just being realistic, knowing that um, I wasn't going to run a marathon for the first or second time and think that it was going to be easy. Like each time for probably those first five marathons, you, you, you tow the line and you go through the training and you kind of wonder, am I going to blow up today? Like, am I going to be able to do this? Um, And just seeing where, where you are and the more confidence that you have in it, the more patience you have with yourself. So if you have injury setbacks or things like that, you know what, there, as long as you keep kind of plugging away at it there, you know, you're going to get better you're going to get past the injury. You're going to get past the milestones. You're going to hit personal bests. If you're putting the work in and being, just being patient with yourself. Um, but pushing too, I'd have to say I'm patient, but I'm also very hard on myself, which is kind of a a bad personality trait, I suppose, but it might be why I am where I am today. Um, because I am so tough on myself. I don't know if that makes any sense, but
0: no, but I do want to unpack it because a second ago, not a second ago, maybe twenty <laughs> minutes ago, uh, you know we were talking about yeah. the speed work and how one one hard run can you know especially if you have you know maybe a couple a couple difficult runs that don't go your way uh, in a short period of time can send people on a tailspin, me included, and uh, you immediately act yeah. on that you're like, no, 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 you have to think bigger than that you know what i mean and you, you expanded on it very well and then you just yeah. brought this up which seems to contradict it in a way so how do you how do you balance i know how, how do you you know balance those two ideas which seem to live in your yeah, head
1: i think it's the i can beat myself up but i don't dwell on it Um, I can finish a workout and I'm going to be pissed if I don't, excuse my language, kids cover your ears. If I don't hit those speeds that I think I'm capable of, I'm absolutely irritated, you know, and mad or grumbled or whatever, but then I move on because I, I have that self acceptance of over the years and over the miles. I know that that given day, it just gives me one more opportunity to prove myself wrong the next day. So I think it's being that stubborn hard on myself but ability to move on and not dwell on
0: it yeah i think that that's definitely something that can be built up over time right to be able to you know kind of, you know kind of live in that that space and then close the door and yep. leave it behind
1: move on onward i think as laura says onward
0: so let's give context to that laura laura the runner There you go. Laura Pierce, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I knew who you were talking about, but I want to throw that out there. Um, Laura Pierce, who's been on this show several times, three times, in fact. If anyone wants to go back, 20 stories, one, two, and her own episode. So thinking of Onward, what does Onward mean for you going forward?
1: Next on deck is Boston
0: 2019.
1: So at least for the foreseeable future, I plan on doubling down on my Twix intake. Probably increasing a little bit of my wine intake. And then once James tells me that's enough, I will get back to building the base and getting stronger.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the Twix. I love the Twix. Are you, are you a, right, a right Twix or a I left Twix? I don't
1: discriminate. I mean, why would I do that?
0: There you go. I mean, why the, would you? Exactly.
1: No, but all seriousness, I think um, I was right before this, I was um, sending messages to James saying, okay, how do I get better? You know, I can't help myself right now that I have a little taste of it and it's relatively new. I still feel like there's, you know, uh, some untapped potential that I need to figure out how to harness. And so I think that I just need to go back to telling myself, remember how you just talked to Matt about being patient. I need to be patient and keep doing what I'm doing and um, just kind of see what those different levels, see what I can achieve.
0: What do you think is the upper limit of your potential? That's a great
1: question. Um, I would love to throw out a a sub three. Um, I won't put a time frame on it, but I know it's, you know, if I'm 10 minutes away, I can do the work. Um, well, it's just a matter of when, and you know, the heartbreak of marathoning is just because you've done the work does not mean it's going to come together on that given day. I mean, I hate to say it. Um, I've been very fortunate and you can look on paper and Instagram at all these people hitting their PRs and stuff like that. Um, which is absolutely amazing. And some of those days happen, but there's the bad days too. Um, it's not always going to come together after, you know, for 14, excuse me, four months of like training, you might have bad weather, you might have stomach issues, you might have a leg cramp. Um, so that's kind of the bittersweet piece of marathoning that I don't know when that will come, but I'm going to do my part to try to get there.
0: I love it. All right. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this conversation. For a me long too. time. Thank you so, so much
1: for having me. It's been great.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. So, you already um, kind of devolved some of the, some of your answers here for the last questions that we'd like to do for every episode. So, going for your runs, headphones or no headphones? You no, know,
1: I went through the no headphone phase, but now that I have um, the wireless ones uh, and have to do speed workouts, I'll do headphones. Okay. So, what wireless
0: headphones do you have? Because I've had some trouble with a couple of pairs.
1: And I like okay. those from a safety standpoint because, it, you know, you hear all of these these things happening. And you know, the time that I run, I need to be aware of my surroundings. So I found that those work for me.
0: And how's the audio I quality? Shocked.
1: They're they're great.
0: Okay, got it. And what are you listening to?
1: when You're on your I'm runs? Quite the mix. Um, anything from Eminem to Britney Spears. It's pretty embarrassing
0: that is a pretty <laughs> wide gap i mean i, I no, no knowing your sweet tooth m&m is not that big of a surprise you though, i you uh, kind
1: yeah. of stick to some of those good old school hair bands though of like the 80s and so like a little acdc that will definitely get cranked up on some speed work
0: oh there you go i like that all right so what advice do you give other people about running that you have trouble following
1: <laughs> This one's the classic one. Um, It's a great question. First of all, I don't really think anybody wants to listen to my advice, so I try not to to dole it out.
0: You just finished (laughs) 25th in your age group at the New York City Marathon. I think there are Uh, plenty of people
1: who would like to take your advice on. Oh my gosh, it's such a tough one. I think that probably what I don't listen to is the classic, getting those... um, The extra, the little exercises, whether it's your core workout, the stretching, I'm trying to get better, but I'm classic there. But I think the the biggest one that I'm a culprit of is, I tell people not to be hard on themselves, and then I turn around and I beat myself up. So I I have some work to do there.
0: There you go. It like follows Uh, the line that you give people that you give advice that you yeah probably. There you go. All right. So if you could do one more race for the rest of your life, but you could only do it um once a year what race would that be
1: i hate to say the cliche but i have to say the cliche boston but not not because it's it's a tough qualifying and all the things that do make it so wonderful it's because i used to live at boston and that's honestly the only reason why i repeat that marathon is because i love going back to the city i love staying with my friend lauren and getting you know eat out and enjoy the city for all the things that i love it for
0: there you go. All right. Other end of the spectrum. What's your bucket list race?
1: Um, I think all those damn international world ones that I can't seem to get into. London, Berlin, Tokyo. Okay. I commiserated. Right. To I a commiserated couple... with people in London this year. <laughs> there you go.
0: Commiserate. That was, I was on another podcast with someone I could not remember that word. I think I stuttered for like you a full minute. You did because I was, Dude, I, I was I never...
1: listening to it and I was like literally running and saying, commiserate. Commiserate. The word is Commiserate. <laughs>
0: Oh, God. I, like, haven't forgotten this since, of course. Um,
1: all right. I'm going to throw a couple new ones uh-huh. in here
0: into our little uh, end, end of podcast uh, routine. What is your favorite workout?
1: Um, I honestly think I really like some of the speed workout. But that's probably because it's a new challenge for me. So anything that I can do, and not just track workouts. I, uh, I love to hate those longer distance ones where you have to go hard.
0: Like the like two-by-three-mile
1: yeah. yeah. variety? But I hate them, but I love them, but I hate them. But I also love them, but I hate them. <laughs>
0: it's like the common theme of this podcast, this yeah. episode. It's like the, the love and hate relationship with things. We're trying to have, like, two things in your mind that are contradictory points. Um, okay. What moment, from a running perspective, are you most proud of?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I think that probably the most joy that I've felt... And proud was the Erie Marathon when I had that breakthrough eight-minute PR. And I have thought about this a lot, not knowing that you would ask this question, but the why. Because I just got a PR in New York, and I didn't have the same euphoria that I did when I finished Erie. And I think it's because when I crossed New York, I know I could do better. When I crossed Erie, I had no idea I could do that. And so I feel like I just crossed this, like, Huge threshold of like, oh my gosh, I just accomplished something amazing.
0: yeah it's like you like went through the yeah. looking glass. It was like, now you're in this whole yeah. new world All right, last one, I know you have a consistent running partner, yeah. and no offense to her, but do you have a dream running oh my partner? gosh!
1: well, the consistent running partner is shout out to Krista. redefine the impossible. Um, well, you know, since I have been fortunate, I've already run with Shalane I've run with meb. Not that I'm name dropping at all. Um, oh, not at all. Not uh, at all. <laughs> even though I beat Meb. Um Would be... That's a tough one. I don't... I think my dream running partner is anyone out there who will put up with my talking for hours. Or not even hours, for miles, I should say. So, there you go. I'm going to keep it vague. I'll run with anybody who will put up with me.
0: There you go. So, if you enjoyed listening to Karen's <laughs> podcast and you want more, just go run with Karen And, you know, start your run, press play, and she'll just go. (laughs) There you go. Karen, thank Uh, you so much for coming on the show. This was really fun. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks,
1: Matt. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you,
0: Karen, for coming on to the Rambling Runner podcast. We have been shooting each other messages for the better part of a year uh, and it's just been so much fun getting to know you but even more fun seeing you reach your goals and do it in such a fun and energetic way uh, this was just such a, this was just such a great episode I really enjoyed it and I can't wait to seeing you again soon so With that said, big shout-out to Mercury Mile for sponsoring this episode. You can check them out at MercuryMile.com. Megaton Coffee as well, fueling the Rambling Runner podcast. I really appreciate you guys, and most of all, I appreciate you, the listeners. Thank you for following the show. Thank you for sharing. And if you can, go on to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast. Five stars, baby. That would be great. Uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and happy running.